Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, Episode 4. Rob here. Find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. On this episode, Kevin Smith from MST3K Motivation joins us to talk about 1990s Child's Play 2. We're continuing through this franchise mega series, working our way through the Chucky and Andy years. But how do you build upon a premise like the original Child's Play. How do you keep deepening the relationship between a boy and his killer doll without retreading the same ground? Let's dig into the movie and find out. Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. This episode, we're continuing our Child's Play uh, journey onto the second film, that uh, would be 1990s Child's Play 2, directed by John Laffia, written, of course, by Don Mancini. Actually, Laffia and Mancini co-wrote the first film, which is an interesting bit of trivia. Of course, Mancini takes over writing the rest of the series, I think, independently. And I am honored to welcome to the show, Kevin Smith. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. Absolutely. So tell people a little bit about who you are, what you're up, and then I guess your history with the Child's Play franchise. All right. Well, for those who don't know me, I'm Kev Smith, not that Kevin Smith, the one that's uh, pretty much a big nerd for all things riffing. So usually I'm not up to much, just usually talking about MST, and they just had their successful uh, Kickstarter for season 13, and uh, running the Mads is Back Facebook group for them. When I was talking about doing Child's Play, you expressed interest in wanting to come on one. I think the first film was already claimed at that point. And, uh, and then I think that you picked the second of the ones that I had remaining because it's pretty close in spirit to the original 1988 film. What is your experience with Chucky and when did you first come across him and what is your ties to this franchise? Chucky for me was one of those things that I, I saw him. And I really wanted to see it. I, I got into horror films very early. My parents made a huge mistake. They were very, <laughs> how would you say it, keeping up with the Joneses and afraid of what other people would say, stuff like that. But I was very fascinated, with, specifically with Freddy and Jason. And finally, my mom was just like, here's this movie. She handed me Nightmare on Elm Street. She goes, you're going to watch this in the dark by yourself, and then you're going to eat your words. I watched it. I loved it. I rewound it. I watched it again jump forward a, a couple of years and I I'm aware of Chucky, but they're still not letting me see that necessarily. I think I saw child's play when I was 12. So maybe just a year after the second movie came out. Okay. And then the second movie I didn't see until I was a grown man. I think I was in my twenties. That's interesting that your parents were like, here's Elm street, but no, no, you're not going to see Chucky yet. Do you, in your mind, do you, 
Do you feel like Chucky, the Chucky movies are, are more intense than the Elm Street movies? Because I feel like it's the other way. It is the other way around. At least the first couple movies for Elm Street. The first right. two, three movies, of course, are more serious. Once you get into four, five, and six, there's your glam years. But the Chucky, power glove kill from the sixth one I'm thinking of now. <laughs> yeah. That's where <laughs> cool he kills. graphics or whatever. Jeez. That's where he kills Breck and Meyer, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> cool. Hundred percent um, a franchise I'm gonna get to on this show down the line. So I will help out with every single episode of that. If you <laughs> awesome. But with Chucky, I had heard about the ending from my older cousin for for Child's Play Two, excuse me, and I had was just fascinated with what I'd heard about him just being globbed. I won't spoil the ending until we get to it, but it just sounded so cool, and I really had to see that, especially after seeing RoboCop. I thought that was the greatest thing ever, too, with people exploding and melting. But no, I think I was in my 20s, and I had already seen part three. And I don't think I really went to go back and watch part two because three wasn't as good to me as part one was. And I, I think, think that's pretty universal, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what had happened with me. But once I got the box set, then I watched all three of them. And I, of course, bought the part four and five after that. And I was like, okay, I, I like three for what it is. And I started enjoying the whole franchise again, all over again, with seeing the ending of two. Yeah, your story is not that much different than mine, because I saw the first one, not as a, as a child, but like certainly I was probably in my teen years around there. And then the second one I saw, I think for the first time last year when I bought the box set, because I was interested in the franchise and I had, I had seen all of them except for two, three and seed. And I think curse and cult were streaming on Netflix at that point, And I got a chance to catch up with them and kept my eye on that box set on Amazon. And when it went on sale <laughs> for like 20 bucks, I was like, well, I can't turn down seven Blu-rays in this franchise for $20. So then no. finally went back and rewatched them. And it's that's I, I decided to do this this first mega series on Chucky just because those movies are all over the place. The first three yes. are like each, as I've been saying a lot of a lot of my guests on on this series, is that it's basically three iterations of the same premise, tackled wildly different, but with the same writer consistently throughout to keep that through line of Don Mancini's involvement. So it all, when it comes to the end of Cult, it feels like it's all one piece, even though it's been a wild ride to get to that point. And I still haven't seen Cult yet. The last one I saw was Curse, and I did like the ending to that. It took a while to get there, but I yeah. really did like the ending of that. It paid off really well. Yeah. Um, but as, as far as what you said, as far as it being three different entities, that's absolutely true. The first three are definitely horror films. The second two are horror comedy, and then you go back to horror, new age horror for the last two, I think. Yeah, I would argue, and people will hear this when I get to cult down the line, I would argue without spoilers that cult tries to wrap some of the elements from the, that middle section of the franchise back in. And that's all I'll say about that. But I would definitely encourage you to check that out, especially if you liked Curse, because Fiona Dora, the main protagonist of that movie, returns for the for Cult of Chucky as well. And it's it leaves the franchise in a very interesting crossroads going into the Chucky series that's starting this fall on Sci-Fi in USA. Oh, really? So it's going to tie into that as well? Yeah, it's it's picking up from the from these movies. So after Cult, it's picking up that story. Don Mancini's involved and all of that. Like it's not related to the remake. 
thankfully. Hey. It's continuing the original vision of Chucky. And I think that's part of why so many people I've been talking to about, about Child's Play, why so many of them are like, oh yeah, fuck that remake. Because the original creator of this character is still involved with this Brad Dourif, Jennifer Tilly. Like they're still on board with this franchise. It's, it's not like a property that's been laying dormant for 20 years. It's like, no, they're still doing it. It's still <laughs> happening. What is going on? It doesn't make any sense. I didn't, so I think it's, it's, there's a lot of jumping on points and off points for people with this franchise. So I, I totally understand what your reaction initially to three, I think, which I'll get to next episode. I think three is probably the one that contributes the least to the mythos, to the tone, to the stories and the characters. I think this one does a, a solid job picking up from where the first one left off and continuing it, even if it doesn't take any, at least in my eyes, it doesn't take any like wild swings. Yeah, no, no, this one doesn't. This stays pretty faithful. They quickly caught you up within the first five minutes as, as far as where certain characters are where Andy's mom is, where the detective is, why they're not in the movie, which they were supposed to be. But they quickly dust all over that, and then they just continue on. And that's what I really liked about part two as opposed to three. Three, there there wasn't a real-time time jump that Andy would have been that old, and that's where I lost interest with that. I, I talk about that on the uh, the Bride of Chucky episode because it's this one is nine, 1990 and the third one is 1991. And so yet, yeah, so they have to, they're going to do the time jump with Andy and have him be not a little boy uh, and have him be more of an adolescent at that point. They bring in the different actor, but then Bride of Chucky picks up, I think a few months after Child's Play 3, even though that one comes out like eight years later. It's, it's, it's this weird, like, time space continuum that the child's play movies got stuck in between three and four. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I agree with you. They, they get all the exposition out of the way. Like, Oh, the boy is, is in foster care and the mom's in sanitarium. And, and they're literally restoring the burnt doll to, I guess, reverse engineer into what went wrong. One of the characters has that, that theory that, that somebody, one of the programmers just messed up, you know, just messing with it and, yeah. and having it say obscene things, which I think is pretty funny. And, uh, and you get a little bit of foreshadowing in the beginning, uh, the we're, fact that we're starting with the good guys, like company and the headquarters and the corporate offices. It foreshadows the warehouse sequence towards the end, which I like. Yeah, that was really cool. What they left out is it was during the Christmas season, and that's why it was so packed. And that's why the CEO had such a bug up his butt about keeping everything quiet, because they wanted to push all those out of the factory. They had more to add, they just didn't have all the budget to add it. <laughs> but they <laughs> they did good with what they had, though. And it, and it looked really cool. Yeah. And when I say it looked really cool, it looked really cool in general, but it looked really cool for the budget that they had because they didn't have hardly any of a budget for this one. This was like an old-fashioned monster movie where you see bits and pieces of, of Chucky here and there, or the monster, for lack of a better term. And then they just like dump the budget all in the end and you just got your jaw dropped down. That's what I wished I could have seen as a kid. Yeah, it's true. I'm looking at the budgets right now and the first one was 9 million. This is 13. So they had oh, a little had bit more. more to work with, but but not much. Like not, I feel like you're right. I feel like it all went into that the warehouse sequence towards the end, which does look amazing. And uh, it's very intimate throughout most of it. Like the first one, there's how many characters would you say are in this? There's like six characters that have substantial lines of dialogue, not counting 
the guards in the in the warehouse who will get to that amazing death scene that that one guy has and the kids in Andy's class like there's basically like <laughs> six major characters something like that yeah uh, I believe it, so, so it, so it feels very focused again, like the first one. It's 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 a it, it's that classic Hollywood sequel in that it's like, all right, let's do that, but more, but but slightly different. Where they don't they don't do anything crazy with it. They just continue it in a tra- traditional sequel way. But I think for the most part, it works. And it's I feel like over time, two and three maybe get lumped together a little bit. But I think this one's definitely it's, it's definitely much closer to the first one than the third one. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. I, I think this one should stand out with part one as far as it being Pantheon. Being one and two, being closer together as Halloween is than, say, two and three for this for this particular franchise. Obviously not Halloween, but anyway. Yeah, I, I like to pair the first two with these. Three, I leave out. I watch it if I have time. But it just did... Three wasn't all there for me. It didn't have the payoff that part two had. Part two... Like when I said they sprinkle bits and pieces of Chucky here and there. Once you get to that toy factory at the end, you see Chucky walking. Yep. And everyone was like, holy shit. And for all the problems that they had with that doll, it, it was, is this a puppet or a robot? I'm not sure which. I would I say. I feel like in some shots, it's, it's probably, I feel like it's both at varying times. Yeah. Cause I don't want to be disrespectful to either art, but the, the puppetry to it and the animatronics were just phenomenal they were great in the first one but his facial expressions got so wicked in this one and what they did i think is is they recorded brad dorf's lines beforehand he wasn't really on set and they programmed the doll's lips to move in sync with what he was saying as he was saying it and i think that helped in its way at least for those for the doll's particular scenes yeah, it's it's weird too because like you said, the, a lot of this movie they do skirt around Chucky, but I feel like you still he still has more of a, a presence in this one than in the first one. In the first one, they were like legit like hiding him until absolutely necessary. Here you get a little bit more like he actually gets to participate in the death scenes a lot more viscerally and a lot more directly. I'm thinking specifically of the the teacher and when he comes out of the like storage closet <laughs> with the with the meter stick, which is which is one of the first gifts I think that comes up if you type on like Twitter around Child's Play or Chucky, like that one with the with the meter stick pops up pretty pretty fast. But but yeah, it does it it does a good job stepping up with that. But it's true they do they do hold it back quite a bit until the end comparatively, and certainly compared to later in the series where he's the main character and he's on screen constantly, and that's. I think partially because they're still trying to treat him as a scary character, which in, in large, okay. Do you, do you think he works when they're trying to play him seriously as a, an intimidating presence? Or do you, do you think it makes more sense when they lean into the ridiculousness of the fact that this is killer doll coming at you? Honestly, it works for both. If, if you stick to the original Chucky, Charles Lee Ray, and the way we first see him before he gets shot and then Mm -hmm. him transferring his soul all the way through being melted at the end or whatever they turned him into goop. He always kept that tone scary, even though the one-liners were always funny. Like when he kills Mr. Simpson in part two, the how's it hanging Phil before it drops him and breaks his neck. It, It was always scary, but I still believed the character as like just this pissed off 
berated husband that just <laughs> wants to be the man but can't be. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I buy that part because I am that dude in a way, but <laughs> like, <clears throat> my wife's my boss. I have no problem saying that. But no, I would say Tiffany's physically more sadistic than he is, but he's more sad- psychologically sadistic than he is. That's where right. I think their their chemistry works together. But I would say them playing him straight worked better as, as being a horror film. But they had to change it up in the 90s and the 2000s just because horror wasn't anywhere what it was back then. The trouble, I think, with this character is that he's scary when you don't know he's coming at you. His big advantage is that he's a doll, and so you can just lie there Toy Story style, which, again, another Andy. And... Um, <laughs> and <laughs> Which they had to do. Pixar must have done that intentionally because that's too perfect. Uh, and that's something that the, as much as we were both indifferent or, or vehemently against the remake, depending on the moment, that they leaned into that with the marketing. I think Toy Story 4 and Child's Play remake were coming out like the same weekend and they leaned heavily into that, which was smart. But his big advantage is that. And once people know he's alive, he loses that element of surprise. And it's the big challenge, I think, for most of these movies is how do we do that in a different way? How do we have people, the main character be like, it's Chucky, Chucky did it, and and have it not feel repetitive to the like six movies that came before. And Cult of Chucky finds a specific way around that. But here it's just like, Andy is the only one that knows Chucky's alive and is telling all the adults who are just dismissing him, which again, is is like the first one, but not because now he's with the foster family and he doesn't necessarily have to be there. And it's like, these people are taking him in out of the kindness of their heart. And it's more like, well, how does how does that work if Andy's in a, in a more temporary home situation as far as with his mom being in, in psychiatric care and all that. And I think the movie gets a lot of mileage out of that between Janie Agutter, who obviously from American Werewolf in London and Garrett Graham, who's done a million things. Including, but I always <laughs> think of him as the, the voice actor from The Critic. I think he does uh, The Dad on The Critic, that animated show from the 90s, which, which I Get really out. Love. Was that him? I think, he, I think so. And I can hear it sometimes at certain points when he talks, but he's he's done a lot of uh, a lot of acting in that way too. But with their conflict, like behind the scenes of them being like, she's trying to be compassionate, and he's like, I don't know, this kid seems damaged. So all of that, I thought they they found a way to make it feel fresh enough that it doesn't it doesn't feel like a retread in any way. Right, because they had no obligation to believe Andy whatsoever. Exactly. Exactly. Moms, to a point, or parents always have an obligation to believe their child especially when the thing jumps out of the fireplace at you. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, writing the Simpsons the way that they did in this movie worked really well. The the bleeding heart and the asshole dad. Yeah. The the nose to the grindstone dad which is everyone was used to in the 80s at that point or even in the early 90s. That was still very much a thing. But what really quick before I forget, I want to go back to it, the teacher. Killing the mm-hmm. teacher. Not just the the beating her and just mercifully, unmercifully with the uh, yardstick, but pumping her full of air was just awesome. That was the <laughs> coolest shit ever. You've been very naughty, Miss Kettlebell. But the teacher herself, I just want to say the actress Beth Grant is one of my most favorite actresses or actors 
ever. She is just in the best movies and she always plays the best roles. Mm-hmm. She, of course, Kitty from Donnie Darko, who just is her, my favorite line in the whole movie, almost any movies. I'm beginning to doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. <laughs> <laughs> like I say that all the time. Anytime someone's like just not 100%, I, I'm beginning to doubt your, your commitment to sparkle motion. But then, of course, Willie's Wonderland. If you haven't seen that, she was in that most recently, and she is awesome in it. Just totally awesome. Yeah, I need to check that out. I always think of her from Speed. She was in that. I think that was one of the first things I really clocked her in. But yeah, she's a real character actor who just pops up all over the place. Like, I feel like she's like she's in, I don't know, 10% of the movies that I've seen in the last 20 years, it feels like. She's just constantly <laughs> popping up. And so to see her in a brief but pivotal role, as far as the scares are concerned, it, it was, it, yeah, it was a real treat. And I think with her character too, with Miss Kettlewell, you get a little more of the sense of this sadistic side of Chucky. This is not even a self-preservation thing. This is not even, I need to kill this person to get the, to Andy. This is just like, I'm going to have a little fun. I'm going to write, fuck you, bitch, on Andy's paper <laughs> and hide in the closet and then come out and murder this lady before I go continue my mission. And that's something that they get into later with Seed when Chucky and Tiffany are like, oh, we're addicted to killing. He's like, I can stop anytime <laughs> I want to. <laughs> Violin. Um, Violins are bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that's that's it's it's wild that that movie is in the same franchise as this one. Uh, to get back to that point, it's just it's it's crazy. Yeah, so I I like that it continues Chucky's quest for for Andy's soul. And one thing that I noticed in this one, rewatching it for this episode is that obviously his soul is just still in that doll because every one of these sequels has to find a new way to justify, all right, how is Chucky back this time? In in three, they literally shred the doll to pieces. So in four, she has to put the soul back and stitch the doll back together, um, which is why you get that great design of Chucky with like the stitched up face. Yeah. And, and here his soul, I guess, was still lingering in that doll that they just repaired. And they stick to this rule that they established in the first movie that he can only go into the body of the first person whom he revealed his secret to. And I feel like that falls by the wayside later in the franchise. Am I correct in that? Yeah, I, I would say come come Bride of Chucky, that goes away completely. Well, um, Bride of Chucky, there's an amulet that you need to do this, the, 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 the incantation and everything. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. But he doesn't, Andy's not mentioned at all in parts four or five, is he? No, he's not. He's not. He, you, you've seen Curse. So I don't know if you've seen the, the one that has the post credit scene, but there is a, in Curse, there's a post credit scene where Andy shows up in a cameo appearance. Oh, is that so where it's at? Brings him, starts bringing him back into the fold. And, and which I, which is what I was saying when I said that cult part of how cult threads the needle back through all per six previous installments in varying ways. So I, I do like that it keeps the Andy story going, and Chucky's still hell bent on getting out of that doll. How do we feel about the way Andy as a character develops from the first second one? You have the limitation of dealing with a, a child actor. You have the Home Alone of it all, where it's like okay. You're put in the same situation again. How are you going to deal with it this time? And you're a child. So presumably you learned something, but also you're still a child. How does, how does this movie take that on? 
oh god andy takes it like a champ first thing he does is punch it and <laughs> he punches <laughs> tommy not chucky i think and then throws it down the stairs no 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 phil throws it down the stairs chucky buries it but then once he goes after chucky and realizes that Tommy is Chuck or Chucky's taking Tommy's place. He goes after him with the turkey carving knife. <laughs> he is yeah. not screwing around and he's not shy about telling anybody, Chucky did it, Chucky did it. And Andy's really not not a sissy in general, but not until the third movie anyway. But in the first two movies, he's he's pretty brave for a little kid his age. In the first yes. movie, they've got him taking buses to like the ghetto in Chicago and shit like that. And in this one, he's running around in the ghetto of Chicago again, getting to a factory, and he's not in therapy per se, and he's a strong kid. Yeah, there's a line early on where they're like, oh, Andy's fine now, and I'm like, I don't know if Andy's fine. That's a little strong. <laughs> he, he's dealing. He's dealing with things. I would have PTSD if I would have been attempted murdered by a, a you know, the serial killer imbued in a in a good guy doll so understandable if andy snaps a little bit but but yeah i agree i think alex vincent being as young as he was here and still essentially even more so than the first one the first one you could i think you could you could argue the mom is more the protagonist and in this one it's really andy is really the, the main character he's our hero in this chucky as we were saying is there and he's a threat and he's getting more face time but he's still not like driving the narrative. Andy is the person, the hero, the the Laurie Strode, the Nancy, the the, the yeah. character that's Chucky's arch nemesis, the one that the final, the final boy, I guess, is what he is in this movie, basically. So I, I think he does a really good job stepping up and and carrying this movie as a lead for a, for a little kid. Oh, I thought so too, and that was again why I was disappointed that he was recast in part three, because he, I I personally don't like movies where the kid is the hero it annoys me but this this wasn't that bad this wasn't like yay adults suck weak or cool this was like oh god a killer is really after me and i have to be clever and quiet and hide and do all sorts of stuff to stay away from him and it made a lot more sense than say your brat pack type movies where they're doing stupid shit to get one over on the adults <laughs> this kid fights a sociopath he's seen some shit but anyway, no, Andy was a good character. I really liked Andy. I, I missed him come Bride and Seed. But Bride and Seed, again, were so entertaining and funny that I, I didn't really care so much about that. It didn't bother me. It, was, it, yeah. could have, it had that quality to it. There's that great callback, too, with Andy, where when he gets he gets the doll, obviously, as you said already, Chucky pretends to be Tommy, which which is the first time that we see more than one doll on screen together, which... A little tease for Cult of Chucky. That's something that that is pretty relevant there. I don't want to ruin it for you, but so I would definitely encourage you to watch that before we before we talk about Chucky after this call. But he checks the batteries, which I thought was a beautiful callback to that obviously famous scene in the first movie where his mom checks the batteries. There's no batteries in there. And then Chucky like flips out like, oh, you fucking bitch. And like uh, tries to bite her and stuff, which again, he's doing the biting move again in this movie. I think on Kyle uh, later in the film, which I thought Chucky's got a very, very small bag of tricks, I guess. <laughs> he does. And they shortened his tricks in this movie. They didn't let him use a gun in this one because this one was the first one that uh, Universal produced. Right, that's and true. So, and Universal, of course, they don't like so much violence per se, enough to make money off of, but not so much that people are going to snub their nose at him, especially during that time period. But no, they, they limited his arsenal. They upped his, his one-liners, 
but the kills were were better i think in this one with yeah. the teacher and and phil i think i think it just they mixed more together that worked well that made made up for the lack of what they had in part one for it being scary as far as like you said not seeing chucky move until like you said really until she turns him over and checks the batteries before yeah. that i think all you really see is just andy putting <laughs> the doll's face up to his ear and saying chucky says blah 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 you're a bitch <laughs> or like uh, so, so, like scurry some scurrying in the background which is probably a, a little person in chucky's costume or whatever <laughs> like i'm sure they do a lot i'm sure they did some of that as well either kids standing in or, or little people just dressing up as chucky's for like this the, the, the far away shots the, the running away and things like that and the novelty of that is gone in the second one that's and that's why they've had to like all right all right we need to we need to mix it up we need to get more creative we need to to level up everything that this franchise, at least this version of this franchise can be. And I think you see that with the, the kills, as you were saying, uh, the suffocation kill that he does in, in the car with um, with Greg German, like another character actor who's been in a million things. Yes. Uh, I think that's a great moment as well. Uh, probably the best kill of the movie, the worker in the warehouse <laughs> who gets like knocked onto the uh, the factory line and oh. gets the plastic eyes implanted yes. in his skull. That's so, so great. It feels like a hint of the crazy shit that we'd put in these movies later on. It feels like a little morsel for, for the bride and seed of Chucky and the theatrics that they pull off later on in the franchise. Even the score, I thought, was a step up from the first one. You have Graeme Revel doing the score, who's done a million movie scores after this. He did, He does the Crow score, which is really strong. Yeah, uh, just from from dusk till dawn, and we mentioned Freddie and Jason. He does Freddie versus Jason. He did Sin City. He does a lot of great like horror gothic scores uh, in the '90s and 2000s, and I I think that's another way in which this movie really stood out to me. It's just the music is is much stronger too. Like you can still tell in a way that there's a steadier hand behind everything, a little more money, a little more vision, whatever you want to call it but it feels somewhat more refined than the first one in that way. It was more polished. They, they chose a direction to go in and that's when they, that's, they really started going running in the direction at this point, I think. Yeah, totally. I do also think that the only other, the only character that this movie really brings to the Pantheon, and this is a character again that shows up, it sounds like we'll be a player on the show and, and may or may not have a cameo in, and the post-credit scene for Cult, but it brings Kyle onto this. And I think Kyle is a really interesting character too, because she's also seen some shit and she's <laughs> been through lots of different foster families and she's old enough that she's m more in line with the adults, but she's young enough that she can empathize with Andy. She's like, the, she's the perfect, in a movie where, it's essentially Andy's word against the adults. She's the bridge between those two worlds. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. She's. Well, I think she said she was just a few months away of of being eighteen. Yeah, and so that's why she was she was practicing being an adult by smoking. That's what yeah, she was. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Which was actually a really funny scene. Don't do that. That shit's bad for you. <laughs> As she takes a drag, but yeah. no, I. 
I had heard that she was in Cult of Chucky, and I and I got excited about that. But see, I'd heard Andy was in Curse of Chucky, and I looked and I looked and I looked and I watched it twice, and I didn't see him. I was like, "Well, fuck, was it just was it the flashback scene that they have to give him credit for?" So thank you for telling me because now I will go back and watch that. I do own Curse of Chucky, but now I'm going to go out and buy Cult of Chucky. Nice. She's in. I might. It might only be in the unrated version, which is not the one that I saw most recently. But because my Blu-ray has both the rated and unrated version. And there's a couple shots that are of the gore, obviously, and stuff. And then there's the post-credits. She's only in the post-credits scene. Andy is in Cult more throughout. But Kyle's only in the post-credits scene of Cult. But my understanding is that both of them will be a part of the, the series, which is interesting. Because, like I said, they're tossing everyone that's really substantive to this franchise back in the mix. And I'm really curious to see how that's all going to shake out. But I, I love that they form a friendship here and that apparently in the later movies, that friendship seems like it's still going strong and and it's partly forged by this, this, this secret, by them being the only ones that have seen Chucky in action. And I think that it really, it's fun to give to give Andy a surrogate big sister in that way. Yeah, that was special. She was her, oh God, Billy Madsen. She's she's her own little Billy Madsen. She's the, the wannabe bad orphan, but she's a good person at the same time. Right. <laughs> so she was a fun character. I'm glad to hear that, that that continues on down the road. That makes me happy. That makes me really yeah. happy, actually. That's, to me, the equivalent of seeing Nancy on Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Like, oh, right on. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got to keep those. That's the thing that I really like about doing this show is seeing how these stories play out over the course of several films. And when you have those more serialized elements like these recurring characters, it makes the whole journey feel more epic in scope. It makes it all feel more worth it. You feel like you're part of a little club when you get all these characters and references and everything like that. And so it's cool that they have kept Kyle in the loop. And I think Christina Lee's is, is she's really strong in this movie with the material that she's given and everything. And so it's fun to, to have Andy not be alone completely this time and uh, to have another kid running around dealing with Chucky alongside him. And there's, there's a nice 15 minute chunk of this movie. I feel like 10 to 15 minutes where it's Kyle and Chucky. Like there's a fight in in the house. They get stopped by the car, uh, by the cops. He's, she's, he's making her, her drive to where Andy is. How much further till we get to the kid? A ways. Step on it. What's the rush? If I don't get out of this body soon, I'll be trapped in here. What are you looking at? And there's like a whole sequence there where she stops the car suddenly and he flies out the windshield and he's hanging out of the car. Like there's a whole, right? There's like a whole Kyle mini movie shoved into this thing right between acts two and three or something. And I love that we get that time with her and that she gets her own mini adventure yeah, while that- they're both trying to keep get to Andy. That was cool for a couple of reasons. One, I think, I don't remember if that was her first movie or not. It very well may have been. But she was good enough as an actress, even at that time, early in her career, that it was fun to watch her interact with Chucky. She was believable and not purposely or not accidentally cardboard when she was talking to that cop. 
saying you have no idea it's getting them to shut up this trick that's not yeah. an actual quote but basically trying to hint the cop that there's something wrong with the doll right but no she she did really great and she was fun the other thing that was really fun about kyle is that gave chucky the ability to do scenes that you couldn't do with a kid not so much andy specifically but a kid can't drive the car a kid can't fucking crash him through the fucking windshield <laughs> after the buckle your seatbelt pun she got to do a lot more or got to let chucky do a lot more i think by being that second person and i wouldn't even say sidekick i'd just say second person she evolves into a co-lead in this movie in like the second half which i i, I love that and she gets a lot of hero moments too. She's got, uh, he flies out of the windshield and he's like against that thing. And she pulls back and tries to ram him with the car. And I'm like, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> she gets, she gets like an Indiana Jones moment with the gate at the warehouse where she runs and rolls under it. She doesn't have a hat to catch. That's the only thing that, that's missing there. But yeah, it's, it's cool to have for Andy to have someone have his back because in the first one, as we were saying, his mom doesn't find out anything until way late and to kyle's credit she never like she never really legit calls him out and be like oh you're a liar like why are you doing this but like the adults she does question well how did you tie yourself up like that and then when she comes in chucky has him tied up and is ready to do the whole hide the soul thing then uh, andy gets caught by by phil and i forget the other character's name and she's there every, everyone's just trying to solve the mystery of like well how did that happen what was Andy up to? And like, how did that even work? Because the adults think Kyle did it. Kyle obviously knows that she wasn't a part of it. And so she doesn't really ever, when he's leaving the house, he says, be careful, Kyle, he's still down there. And she doesn't like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like she, I think is on the fence. Like she doesn't buy into that this is killer doll in the house, obviously right away, but she doesn't necessarily dismiss the kid out of hand either, which I think, I think that counts for something that she understands not that kind of trauma that he's been through, but she she kind of relates and connects with him enough to give him some benefit of the doubt. Yeah, she doesn't make him feel bad for telling the truth. Right, exactly. You know, and that's that's pretty much what the adults do is, is shame him for telling the truth because that's ludicrous. And yeah, she thinks it's ludicrous too, but she knows something happened to him. And that's enough for her. And that makes her a good character, good sister, good friend, good whatever. Absolutely. We already talked about the, the warehouse finale and how great that is. I do think it's cool that there's a couple of visual homages or references that I noticed in here. When Joanne's, that's the character's name, I found it now. When the Jenny Agutter's character, Joanne, <laughs> when Kyle finds her body, when it turns around, a very uh, Mrs. Bates-esque psycho, which is, which is a, a film that's referenced later in the series that I thought was cool. Uh, when Chucky gets his hand ripped off, and crams the knife into it. That felt a little bit Ash from Evil Dead, which I don't know if that was intentional or not. I actually, yeah, Army of Darkness is also a universal movie. So maybe, yeah. maybe that's what they were going to go in for. And then when Chucky explodes with when Kyle shoves the, the tube in his mouth, mm -hmm. uh, it's very big trouble in Little China when his head inflating and then finally explodes everywhere. Yes. And it was beautiful for those listening at home that haven't seen it if you like special effects made out of latex and blood or or pig's blood caro syrup whatever the ending of this movie is for you there's lots of it <laughs> yeah there is <laughs> uh, so so he gets put into that machine where i guess the molds it's supposed to mold the doll and he gets all smushed and gets his legs cut off 
And then he's dragging after on Andy because at a certain point, this just turns into, it's not even about, I'm going to get in your body. Like he actually literally does the whole chant, which is much longer here than it is anywhere else in the franchise, I guess, to build suspense. You got to cut these movies a little slack and it doesn't work. It's the first, I think it's the first time we see him actually complete the chant at all in the franchise. And he's, it's, too late. And so then it just becomes Chucky, just pure vengeance going after Andy, which is, is fun because you get to see him be a little bit desperate. You little shit, do you know what you've done? It's too late. I've spent too much time in this body. I'm fucking trapped in here. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Because he, with the whole bleeding thing early, which was fun right. because again, it's not very long after the first one, his problem never stopped after the first movie. And even if the, the reconstruction of that doll, his problem of time never stopped. So I liked that continuity there. I liked that it was too late for him. That sealed the deal that Chuck, there's going to be a, always going to be a killer doll named Chucky. But then I don't remember. I don't know if you've already watched or not. Do they cover that in the third movie? Do they, do they stick with that? I don't think they do because there's scenes in there where he's again trying to transfer his soul. The other thing too that I was just thinking is that his soul, in some of the other movies, his soul gets like Tiffany in, in Bride of Chucky reconjures his soul and puts it in that doll again to bring yeah. him back. His soul isn't put back in the doll in this one. It's still there. So I wonder if it's been in there all this time while this, the doll was mangled and inoperable. I wonder if that's part of why he seemed to run out of time pretty fast in this one. I think so, yes. Because come Bride of Chucky, aren't they, are, are they new dolls? Bride of Chucky, uh, Bride of Chucky, it's the the doll from the I'm sorry, third see, one. See. Which is, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they are new dolls in that one. Yeah. Okay. They're they're because they they're the dolls that they're using for the filming of a movie about the Chucky and Tiffany murders. Those right. dolls, this his soul gets put in their souls get put in there by uh, Glenn slash Glenda. That's what happens there. It's fun to try and track. Like okay, th this doll got burned up, and then they fixed it. Then this doll got gets exploded and melted and and whatever. And then in the third one, it gets shredded up and then sewn up for four. And then <laughs> like it's like how many versions in these seven movies? I think there's probably four or five versions of the Chucky doll with Charles Lee Ray's soul in there and how they like, all right, how are we going to thread this needle back one more time? I, I, it's just, that's funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> they did, they did fairly okay with continuity. It's, it wasn't like Friday the 13th where they just come right. up making, making shit up, but yeah, they did. Okay. Exactly. At least it's a horror movie. We want our, our iconic killer back, obviously. So as long as you make an effort to be like, maybe like this viewers, fans will just be like, sure. That's fine. Whatever you say. At least these movies try and rationalize a way in which maybe this doll could have be back to life again and not a, a melted puddle of plastic and, and wires and, and all of that. Plus, like we were saying, the whole warehouse thing, it's essentially Chucky comes home in this one. I think he even says that at one point. Like, oh, we're oh, home, right. Andy. Which I, I like that aspect of it too. It's taking that character in a way back to back to an origin, at least for his his doll self. And then of course we do get Andy defeating him again, which I think is until Kyle's an assist, I guess, with Kyle. I think it's important that Andy is the one to defeat him because, like we said, Andy is the hero here. 
Right. And, and Kyle, if I remember correctly, she was busy doing the stunts on the uh, conveyor belt before yes. going into the, yeah, she was busy doing that while Andy was doing all the hard work. Right. Exactly. Damn it, Kyle. Pull your weight. We just said you're the co-lead of this thing. <laughs> She's taking a no, nap gr- in the middle of this fight. Yeah, exactly. There's that great shot where Andy's like trying to climb up the conveyor belt and sliding down and it cuts like almost like a POV shot of Chucky popping up and going at him. And I thought that that was really cool too. The, the, the camera work I thought was, was much stronger in this one as well from the first one. I think part of that is because I, the editing, like I said, with Universal, yeah. they only like so much violence. So you didn't get to see like the hammer to the forehead in the first movie. You got to see more or less Chucky just swinging a yardstick and a lot of blood. I think they had to be more creative with with the editing. It wasn't like, people are going to hate me for this. It wasn't like the new Halloween movie that was edited so poorly that you're like, I bet there was a good movie under there somewhere. Um, (laughs) They edited this well enough to where I I don't think it would have earned an R rating today. Mm -hmm. Other than the, the language, I don't think the violence that they had necessarily would have earned an R rating today. Yeah, no, that's probably true. It's definitely among the tamer movies in this franchise, I would say, violence-wise, for sure. Yeah, if if 90s movies, 90s superheroes movies have taught me anything, is you can make anything great by editing it. So, or you could try to make anything great by editing it. So, But this this was done well. I liked this movie a lot. There wasn't a whole lot of editing. Well, there was a lot of editing that needed to be done, but with the planning that I I think that they had for the special effects, despite the doll not always working, I think they did really well with this one with keeping it just as, as creepy as the first one, but still, like you said, fresh, fresh reviewers do want to be like, let's go see that again, because it is one of those theater movies where I wouldn't mind seeing that a second time. Yeah. And to your point about the editing, all of these Chucky movies are like a tight 90 minutes, 85 to 95 minutes is where they all fall. And I think because of that, you get like a nice stripped down, briskly paced horror thrill ride. And then you're out of there before you have time to get to get bored. Chucky's destroyed. They're like, all right, let's go now. Where are we going? I don't know. The credits start. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. that was easy. Yeah, there was really no really no resolution at the end of this. Movie no, no. I was characters. I was even like I was even like a. a is, isn't there a denouement? I forgot. Isn't there like something like, n- no, let's just walk. Let's just keep walking until we, because literally neither, neither of them have a home anymore. They were with the foster family and now they're not. So I, I have to imagine they just hung out on their own for a while. I, I forget. But is there anything specific about Child's Play 3 you want to get to? Because I want to, I want to touch on the, the, some larger questions for this franchise. And- I would like to point out again, I can't think of the actor's name. I've never called him by his first name. The the gentleman that plays the the barber in military school is the same yes. actor that plays Uncle Frank in Hellraiser, and he is the scariest motherfucker alive. I love him. He he deserved the death he gets in part three. He's yes, he, he deserves it. No, again, the questions that I would have would, for part three would be the continuity questions, as far as is uh, does Chucky still have the ability or time to transfer his soul into Andy? Do they jump the shark at that point? And is is part three just as worthwhile still as part two? Those would be the questions that I have because I haven't revisited three yet. I've been meaning to, but haven't. 
Yeah. I think you and I agree that it's definitely a step down from here, whether it's the worst of the franchise or that's something we'll get into rankings in a second in a little bit here, but, but yeah, it, it takes it in an unexpected direction, but I don't know if that's exactly what fans wanted, but for this franchise, for the child's play franchise, what do you think it contributes to cinema or the horror genre? What's the legacy of the Chucky movies in your opinion? Fear. Real, actual, <laughs> genuine fear. Humans are afraid of dolls. Yes, we all have bad dreams. Yes, they all vary. But no, we all know that there's no one in our dreams. We know that there's no boogeymen in masks. But yeah, yeah, there are. But we know that there's no boogeymen and whatnot, actual monsters. But people are always afraid of dolls. That's why this movie still works, except for the remake. And that's why Poltergeist <laughs> still worked, except for the remake. People are terrified <laughs> dolls. You can say that about all horror movies, except for the remake. Like, there's very few that are exceptions to that. Jackie yeah, no, Earl Haley was a great Freddy. There I said. He was, I thought he was good. I didn't have issue with him. It's the rest of the movie that I was like, eh. It's when, the, yeah. it's when that movie tries to do the exact same things that the first one does, but does it worse? One of the most obvious ones is Freddy leaning over while Nancy's in bed, where they, before they used practical effects, and now it's just this CG blob that comes like half, half of its body comes out of the wall to peep on Nancy. I'm like, why did you do that? Why can't either <laughs> do something different or do it better? Don't do it worse. It's like the Psycho remake, to go back to Psycho for a second. Why would you remake that the exact same way, only crappy this time. I don't understand the, the logic there. Uh, <laughs> but I All digress. Was get William H. Macy, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and but I, I don't like her either. Yeah, but I'll never yeah. say a bad word against Vince Vaughn. He was cool at the time. Yeah. It's a at weird cast, casting choice, though, as Norman Bates. No matter how you feel about Vince Vaughn, it's like it doesn't feel like the natural progression from swingers to Norman Bates. Yeah, no, no. And then to go to, go after that, to go to Maid, it's like, I'm um, very confused. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. What is your tr career trajectory, Mr. Vaughn? Can you explain it for the record? I think old school was the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Or Swingers, um, one of the two. But anyway, yeah. But back, going back to what we're saying, I think, I think Child's Play will always work again because, yeah, we've all been kids we've all been scared of something we've all been kids that haven't been believed by adults about something whether it be make-believe or real tragically real and and brad dorf will, will never cease to not be scary his voice will never cease to not be venomous he's just for as sweet of a man as i'm sure he is he's just scary between chucky the gemini killer the the vizier that he plays on lord of the rings he's just a mm -hmm. twisted scary person but he'll never stop being great he'll never not be frightening so again this movie will always have a great legacy to it as long as they don't make a sequel to the reboot <laughs> we'll see we'll see how that goes but the good thing is that starting with this movie as you mentioned this is a universal property so i don't think mgm owns the rights to any of these other movies except for the first one now they're gonna have to do their own thing at least so there's that. There's that that small silver lining to all of this. But do you think that this movie, Child's Play 2, do you think it delivers on the first one? We've talked on that. Do you would you consider it a smooth ride or a wrong turn for the franchise? And what is your ranking of all seven movies? 
Ooh, okay. Let's see. Yes, this one definitely works after part two. Like I said, to me, this one, I like watching this one paired with part one. Like I wa like watching part one and two paired of Halloween. I just, I really like these these two movies. So this this one will, one and two stay one and two for me. And then I'll go, oh gosh, four and five, six, three. And then I haven't seen seven. Yeah, you haven't seen seven. So yeah. Yeah, so That's I fair. can't judge that, but... Cult of Chucky or Curse of Chucky, I wasn't really prepared for what it was. So I don't think I appreciated it enough the first time I watched it. And I probably need to revisit it. But I, I remember enjoying Brad Dorff's daughter a lot as a character actor. It was a fun movie enough. It just, again, like the first movie, and maybe that's what made it different and scarier. You don't see Chucky until really the end. Or there's, right. there's no, not a whole lot of Chucky until the end. But it was right. still a good movie. I, I don't think any of them are bad films. Same, same. That's the other thing that, that why I gravitated towards the Child's Play movies for this first mega series that I'm doing is because they're all interesting. Like even the ones like there are people that hate Child's Play 3 or hate Seed of Chucky. And you know what? I get it. But those are still fun, interesting conversations I have because, whoa, all these movies all over the place. And I think with most long running franchises, particularly in horror, it, horror, it's easy to come across ones where you're like, yeah, but you can skip this one or this one. And the only the closest one that I would say for this one is probably three only because it doesn't really like there's no follow up to it like there is with every other movie in the franchise, even cult circles back to the first two like you were saying but i would recommend you watch curse again and then feed right in directly into cult and it's like the, the, i think those two would work as a double feature in the same way as this one in the original film far out i'm down for that i'm down for yeah, that so and i definitely want to go back and revisit four and five again because jennifer tilly just she's she and brad dorf were delightful together i love yes 100 percent they were the next generation's Alan Peggy Bundy almost like <laughs> <laughs> they loved each other and hated each other at the same time. If you're implying that Chucky, the series is going to draw inspiration from married with children. I'm down with that. I can, I, I can see that working out, but yes, cause after three is, as I was saying, the franchise hit a little bit of a creative low and then Jennifer Tilly comes in and Bride of Chucky and then it's just completely re-energized. And it's like now Tiffany is is in the same conversation with Chucky. Like they're they're a, a horror, an iconic horror duo now, which I think is is unique in the genre. Yeah, because no other franchise has picked up a second monster or a second villain right. as a team and had them be successful. Most movies where you get two villains, two or three villains, that's jumping the shark and the movie sucks. These, to me, improved. I, well, they were good. I don't want to say they improved. At least it was an improvement from three. But they were just, they were good for what they were at the time. And I, I think five improved from four. The addition of, of Glenn or Glenda was, was great. I loved him in that. God, what was his name? Billy Boyd. Yes, Billy Boyd Pippin. Love him. Another oh. Lord of the Rings person, too. You got uh, Brad Dourif and Billy Boyd. I just put that together, I think. <laughs> they, he, was, he was so funny as Glenn or Glenda. I, I, I liked him a lot. And again, the whole yeah. violins are bad. That No, no, no not violins. <laughs> violins. Violins then, are bad. <laughs> and then that was the one where they melted. Oh, God, what's his name? John Waters. <laughs> yes, they melted John Waters' face. They melted John Waters. Spoilers for, if you're listening to this, you haven't seen Seed of Chucky. We'll watch it oh. real fast. 
and then come back to the end of this episode. But it's this, they melted John Waters, and they he drives a what who is supposed to be a lookalike who is supposed to be Britney oh. Spears off the side of the road. <laughs> yeah, I remember that's, that. That's where where this franchise goes from the beginning of this episode, where I'm like, yeah, this is it's a good sequel, but it's also a traditional sequel for the first one, and then it ends up there by the time we get to number five. Just like, wow, how did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> It's 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 a wild one. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Yes, I am on Twitter at KCS Kevin Smith. That yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm on Twitter and Facebook. You can look me up as Kev Smith, either one. And I'm always there talking about MST3K, Rift Tracks, and the Mads are back. And dude, thank you awesome. so much for having me back. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And we we snuck a little bit of remake shade in there. So I think that was fun. And as I said, I'm definitely going to do Elm Street at some point. The next time I do a long horror franchise, that will probably be the one. So I feel like it's going to be a lot of the same Child's Play people because that franchise is is has got a lot of fans. And I think I would love to have you back for, for that one if you're up for it. Oh, absolutely. You know, I love talking horror films. And this is one of the few times where I've gotten to talk about a movie that I actually enjoy, where I don't have to beat up the movie. So I'm really happy about that. (laughs) Happy to help, Kevin. Happy to help. (laughs) Big thanks to Kevin Smith from MST3K Motivation for coming on to discuss 1990s Child's Play 2. Now, I want to know, what is your favorite kill in this movie? We mentioned several of them in this episode. Miss Kettlewell, the factory worker with the eyes, Chucky himself exploding into a plastic mess. What is your favorite moment in this movie? I guess as far as the, as far as the kills are concerned. Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. We'll be back next episode with Child's Play 3. Surprise, surprise. But for now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Catch you next time. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of a little KED.